the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football, keeping the offseason content chugging along for you all. I know we got a lot of time to kill before we have football on our TVs again. Uh, so hopefully we can ease that pain a little bit with today's episode, Joe Londrigan and Eric Henry with you once again, uh, another special guest that I know you all are going to enjoy. Uh, you've probably seen his bylines around the internet for several years now. He was, uh, formerly with pro football focus and now is an editor, uh, with the mothership at SB nation and Vox media. He is a college football analyst and uh, master of all things, advanced analytics, Mr. Cam Meller. Welcome to the show, dude. Hey, I appreciate you having me. I, I, I particularly appreciate the intro to Master of the Analytics. It works. I think, you know, <laughs> not by degree, so to speak, but by time spent. And I think time spent when it was kind of cliche and, and it wasn't uh, widely recognized. So I'm glad we're glad we're at where we're at. And I'm glad I could be uh, one of those members that's helping uh, bring analytics and football together. Yeah, of course. I know we appreciate having a, uh, a numbers guy on as well. I know Eric and I don't always necessarily come at it from uh, – from the math perspective uh and as the son of an accountant i know he uh he he definitely kind of rolls his eyes at my lack of you know math skills at this point i don't know about you eric yeah absolutely i mean you know i definitely lack the the uh the gift there when it comes to math that's why i've got a degree in journalism and several other uh other fields that are away from uh statistics and numbers but yeah i definitely appreciate cam coming on i look forward to uh, having this stuff. I've been a big fan of his for a while from afar with his uh, previous work and definitely looking forward to having him here and I'll definitely be sourcing him and, and trying to back up uh, various reasons as to promote why Conference USA is the best G5 conference among the college football. For sure. Now uh, let's dive into that. Uh, I think a lot of people that listen to our show will agree that um, we have a little bit of a uh, you know fascination with quarterbacks to a fault at most but you know it's obviously an important position for a football team. So, uh, Cam, given your unique perspective on advanced stats and advanced analytics, uh, I don't know how much Conference USA football specifically you watched in 2019, but what quarterback within Conference USA really impressed you uh, in terms of, you know, the advanced stats and advanced analytics side of it? Well, I, I think it has to start with probably the two most notable guys who are also the two most, uh, probably the hardest guys to replace. Uh, for each team. And so, it's you know, Jamar Smith and Tyler Johnston. I think Johnston's high variancy of play in terms of, you know, he, he's the Jameis Winston of college football. Is that like how I like to say it this past season, watching him and, and watching, you know, some of those throws that you're just like, wow, that is not even an NFL throw. That's a Patrick Mahomes throw. And then you look at it and you say, holy crap, man, that, is, that was a JV throw that a JV quarterback should have made and didn't make. So there are some boneheaded plays. I think the high variance, though, between Johnson and then obviously, you know, the it's it kind of reaches outside of analytics what Jamar Smith could do when healthy uh, and when in the lineup. You know, that out of pocket sort of ability to buy time in the pocket, though, too. I do think that he did not get enough credit for the uh, the, the pocket passer that he was. So I think he's a you know, if you've watched any sort of bulldog football of the past four years, you knew who you know Smith was, and even if you watched any group of five football, you knew who Smith was, and that's just how good he sort of transcended. Uh, the level of play, I think. I have to agree with you on that. It seems like for the last couple of years, I've been kind of singing Jamar's praises. Uh, and then, you know, this year, I thought this was going to be the year that they finally pull it off and, and get that Conference USA title. But that suspension really kind of uh, 
you know, hurt him more than I think a lot of people anticipated with those two games. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, you could see a difference even just from, you know, I didn't get a chance to watch all the games this year. I was, you know, more focused on the uh, the ACC actually this past season at PFF. So I didn't get the, the full chance to dive in as much as I think I would have liked to for him. But I mean, he's a guy that was on the list of, of the PFF draft pundits uh, for good reason. I think, you know, you have that sort of dual threat ability, but also I think because of what he had shown from a clean pocket, which is one of those, you know, analytical metrics that is, is very correlatable from one level to the other. And so I think, you know, his ability, and I just don't think he got enough credit for it. You could see a big difference when he was in the lineup versus when he was not. Absolutely. And you kind of mentioned that uh, you're not just limited to watching college football from one specific conference, paying attention to the national landscape. But when you look at G5 football as a whole, what's a category uh, or of advanced stats or a specific, you know, advanced metric that g5 fans should be paying more attention to i think it's it's one of those it's referenced a lot by all of the analytics community and there's i think two of them and it it does go back to quarterback play i think that that's really what analytics have sort of mastered as of this point you know quarterback is the most important position i think anybody that watches football understands that and it's you know if that's a good tent pole a good place to first start off with by by hitting by the analytical world quarterback was definitely the place they started. And so I think, you know, two of those metrics really stand out to me and sort of kind of the backbone on my quarterback rankings that I was doing um, last season as well. And I'll do, I'll be doing for SB nation too. It's, it's the down for down accuracy and the adjusted completion percentage, which, you know, takes out factors that are outside of a quarterback's control. Uh, you know, so the general box score states, you know, 20 of 30, you know, that's decent 10 incompletions, you know, yada, yada, yada. Everybody knows that, but taking it a step further, you know, the, not every incompletion is the same. Uh, and it works both ways. You know, there are times that receivers drop the balls. A quarterback should get credit for that. There are times that a defensive back drops the ball of, a, you know, a surefire interception. A quarterback should be discredited for that, certain things like that. And so I think that's really where, you know, the adjusted completion percentage comes into play. It takes a, you know, it's a very good first look at, you know, actual accuracy of catchable passes from a quarterback. So I think that's a really good place to start, you know, on a baseline for quarterbacks moving forward. In that vein, how do you see advanced analytics influencing the G5 game specifically in the next uh, three, four, five seasons? I, you know, I think it's really just started to catch on. I think w- during my tenure at PFF, my goal was to start hitting those programs, uh, mainly G5 they happen to be, but even some of those smaller P5 schools that didn't get a lot of national love. You know, there's just as many parents and just as many players and just as many fans and alumni at most of those schools as there are the bigger schools. Uh, and it's white noise when you talk about Trevor Lawrence nowadays. It was white noise when you were trying to have a Kyler Murray story or a Jalen Hurts story. So talking about a guy like James Morgan, talking about a guy, you know, like Chris Reynolds, Asher O'Hara, those guys coming back, you know, Chris Robinson as well, those those kind of guys and hitting those dudes and understanding, you know, it's not just the fans that want it, the coaches all want it too. And I think that's where the influence is gonna gonna be. They're gonna you're gonna see more teams and more universities and athletic departments, you know, hiring these actual and, and analysts and offensive analysts, the defensive analysts, and they're not going to be just guys on the coaching staff. They're going to be guys that are, you know, looking at probabilities for plays, you know, so you're going to maybe see teams go for it more on fourth down. You're going to see teams maybe stop doing the halfback draw on a third and 13. You know, I think the least, my least favorite play in all of all of football at any level is to get into quote better punting position. You know, I think we'll see less and less of that as, as analytics start to grab on more. I'm all in favor of that. Go for it on fourth down as much as possible. It's like we're playing the NCAA 14 game all day. I love it. Um, but uh, in terms of 
you know, receptiveness to advanced analytics on the administration side. Uh, you mentioned that schools are bringing in more of these uh, offensive analyst guys to kind of help with that side of things. Uh, don't know how much interaction you've had with head coaches specifically, but do you find that head coaches are still, you know, resistant to giving advanced analytics real consideration or are they coming around for the most part? I think once they've seen what advanced analytics can do, it doesn't matter old school, new school coach. Uh, they're all for it. I think it is a little bit harder to get into the, the room and tell the old school coaches to, you know, give the, the old pen and pad method, a, a, you know, a rest. I think uh, the the main, main contact that I had was with scouts, actually, um, and then positional coaches. And they have said that these advanced analytics services like PFF, even like, you know, the rest of these other college di- f- football data companies as well, they're saving so much time by just, you know, giving the baseline data, the, you know, not every school has the ability like a Clemson or Alabama does to have guys on staff that are charting the positions of every player and every play, you know, teams like Charlotte, I know use very well teams like Louisiana tech actually were very much integrated with PFF. And I think that that's going to happen with these coaches once they see and understand. And I think, you know, it's just going to keep going because these scouts are going to keep saying how much time it saves for them to do the mundane items. And then that allows them to, you know, get out there and actually find better players or, you know, coach up the players that are on there. So I think it's only, it's only just began. Certainly makes sense. And uh, last question before I turn it over to uh, Eric for, for his line of interrogation, uh, just really curious how you kind of came to this side of, of sports journalism with the advanced analytics and, and what that path kind of looked like for you professionally and uh, even academically, maybe. Yeah, it was, it was super interesting. I'd never, I was always good at math, I guess you could say. I never really, you know, did anything with it. I wound up finishing at Florida State. Uh, with my degree in English education. I wanted to be a teacher, but I always had the calling to get back to, to sports. So I was doing, you know, I was the sports editor and then the editor-in-chief of the student paper for fi- all my five years in Florida State. So that's kind of where that, I found out that was my calling. I found out that's where I was, you know, most happy to be able to bring the news and bring the stories with my unique sort of vantage point. And then when I got in with TFF, it was, you know, it was a, it was just a job to start off with. I wanted to be somehow involved in football at the professional level and at the college level. Uh, and, you know, when I was able to find in that role and figure out that nobody was really covering college football, I stuck my neck out and I said, hey, I would love to do it. And I would love to bring analytics to, you know, to the college game. I think the NFL was there and, you know, I was happy to be on board. They they were happy to have me because nobody seemingly wanted to take on the arduous task of, of getting analytics in the, the realm of college football. So happy to have done so. And I think it was more of a, you know, a means to an end for me there, but also, you know, a means to me getting to this next stage of my career with, with SVU Nation as well. So I think it was, you know, it was uh, good at math. It just seemed to seemed to fit. I you could tell a story with data and with numbers. I think it's a very, very uh, difficult task to be able to know what the people want to read and hear and then eloquently state it with using this data as the background. Gotcha. No, I definitely appreciate the, uh, the background there. And uh, Eric, I understand you got some questions for Cam as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Almost jumped the gun there for a second. But uh, I want to piggyback off something Cam said in response to one of your answers. And without betraying the trust or confidence in some of the coaches that I've come in contact with, whether it's been at conference with in media days or, of course, in covering FIU, I just want to second a point that you made that um, there is a lot of attention paid to some of the bigger leagues. And like Cam said, there's only so often you can talk about Trevor Lawrence without it being white noise or Jalen Hurts or you know, uh, Justin Fields, et cetera, et cetera. So they're absolutely, no matter whether it is coaches, players, parents of teams and, and programs at the smaller leagues, and, and I can't even say smaller P5s who reach out, um, take the time to send a DM and say, hey, thanks for whether it may be the coverage or even like Cam said, 
just the uh, the actual advanced analytics that helps them out a lot. So I definitely think I uh, just want to piggyback off that and say it, it's definitely appreciated by a lot of people here, you know, a lot amongst the, uh, the G5 ranks. But to kind of launch to my first question, it is combine season. And just want to get your, your thoughts and opinions on the Conference USA guys at the combine. As soon as you just give me, you know, some quick thoughts, maybe your own grades of the guys at the combine and, you know, maybe what you thought of them at the collegiate level and then how they transfer over to the professional level. Yeah, you know, I, I like a lot of them, to be honest with you. And I think the combine did a great job of making sure they got really, you know, the big, big guns from the Conference USA. Obviously, Harrison Bryant, we all know that that dude's a stud. I think he probably is up there with, you know, him and Hunter Bryant are probably two of the most polished in terms of everything that they do very well for the tight end at the next level. I'm I'm a huge fan of Benny LeMay, have been for the past three seasons as well. I think if he runs well, you know, you're going to see him maybe a day three guy. I hope he sticks. I really think that he can. Uh, but probably my two favorites, or probably three favorites if I had to at the Combine, and I'll do them in order. I think, you know, Stan Thomas, I love the dude. I love the way that he plays football. Um, I think he's a physical dude. He's not quite as physical as the Meek Robertson is from Louisiana Tech. I think he was probably the biggest ball hawk in all of college football last season. So I think Robertson, the way that he plays the game and his, his versatility at both levels of the field in terms of he can cover – uh, you know, guys in the in the slot, in the box almost even, and, and he can also cover outside. I think the way that he plays corner is really destined to be sort of that prototypical guy at the next level. So I really like Amik Robertson. But I think Alex Highsmith has probably the biggest career ahead of him of any of the Conference USA guys at the Combine. I think he's a 10-year star on the D-line uh, wherever he lands. I think this guy is – the way he moves his hands, the way he moves his feet, and his sort of fluidity through his moves on the defensive line. He's got a full pass rushing arsenal. I really love the way Highsmith plays football. I'm going to ask the Louisiana Tech fans to spare me here for a second because I think uh, Amik Robertson is very much a, a known commodity, and anyone who's followed this league knows what he's about. Um, being the FIU beat writer, I'm going to ask selfishly ask an FIU question, and I'm also going to ask about Alex Highsmith. I'll start with, uh, with Highsmith. Do you see him as a, you know, hand-in-the-dirt defensive end type guy, or do you think he's going to be that hybrid linebacker slash defensive end maybe you might see in kind of modern defenses? Um, having a chance to see him up and close, I mean, I just thought he was phenomenal, especially to get those sack totals up this year, uh, which is phenomenal. And then Stanley Thomas Oliver, like you mentioned, uh, I've seen every snap he's, he's played at cornerback after making the transition from receiver. And uh, my specific question with Stan is just, uh, how much room do you think there is for growth with him, given the fact that, and in anyone who's talked to him or you know, seen the interview that I did with him, this is his first, his only two years playing the position. It's not like he's a guy who at high school played corner and was switched to receiver and then flipped back. Uh, he had to learn the position from scratch. So do you think, uh, you know, maybe there's room for growth for him for Stanley Thomas Oliver, given the fact that he's only two years into his journey as a cornerback? Yeah, I think, you know, I'll go back to Highsmith too. I think he's sort of the hybrid between the, the two. I think there are, will be moments, you know, gone are the days of just having a third down pass rusher. But I think on third down, that's when Alex sort of lines up hand in the dirt and, you know, he gets after it. We saw sort of TJ Watt kind of do that as well, where he can play both off the ball, but he can also, you know, he's just so good as a pass rusher. I'm not saying Highsmith is as good as TJ Watt is as rushing the passer, but I think Highsmith, just his frame and his size is going to allow him that versatility to play off the ball, but also rush when it's called for. Or also, you know, he can be a, you know, a three down lineman type guy that can also drop back. I love the way, you know, that he was utilized as well. I think those sack numbers only bode well for him going into the future. So then Stanley as well, this guy, I didn't know that actually about him just two years um, at the position. I knew he was new to the position. I didn't know that it was, this was the first two seasons. Uh, not to betray his confidence, but he's the kind of guy that when you talk to him, you know, he's the guy who DM'd me 
there are very few players that are out there looking to get their name out there and looking to do whatever they can in today's world to get their name out there, to get publicity, to get everything positive. And so having talked to him for the past two seasons, you know, this seems like a polished guy who was ready for that jump. And so I, I usually hate the terms ceiling and floor, but if last year was his floor, so to speak, his ceiling is astronomically much higher than, you know, all the rest of them, even the G5 guys at corner. And then some of these other guys that are there, I mean, two years, and for this second year to be as good as I think he was this past season, that's a great starting point for going forward for him. Absolutely. And once again, I'll divulge my bias, you know, covering FIU and having a chance to interact with those guys. I mean, Stan's a great kid, and it doesn't shock me that he reached out to you because, I mean, he's just a guy who's always yearning for knowledge and, and uh, trying to get better. Uh, going to my next question, just looking forward to 2020, who are your top five highest-graded guys coming back in Conference USA? So Victor Tucker jumps out on the offensive side. There's nobody, you know, the offensive line, not really too many players. It's very defensive heavy in terms of who are returning um, that are sort of the best kind of guys or best overall guys, in my opinion. And it's kind of, it's sort of, sort of varies. If you look at Victor Tucker is the highest rated offensive player coming back. Uh, and then it's Western Kentucky has two of them. So Anton Kin- Kincaid, D'Angelo Malone. I mean, if you, the sack totals alone from Malone, but that guy, I swear he was getting pressure. And, and I remember before I left PFF, he was uh, one of 11 guys that had what I coined as the pass rush triple double, which was double digit sacks, double digit hits and double digit hurries. So he was one of, you know, I think he's only one of six or seven that are guys that are returning to college football this season that have, you know, double digits across the board. And then there's Dion Noble and um, Achilles Leroy. So both guys, I mean, you're looking at a safety linebacker, a DT, and then an edge defender coming back, you know, everywhere kind of across the board. Um, and then ODU's D-line should be very good, too, with Meester and White coming back as well. So I think, you know, it's pretty set on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, I would like to see some some of these quarterbacks maybe take the next step, including Asher O'Hara, who I think has a pretty bright future as well. Well, it's funny you mentioned Asher O'Hara and talked about him taking the next step. It's a perfect transition to my next question, which just who are a couple of names, guys, that, you know, come to mind for you that you believe are primed for a breakout year? Who maybe went a little under the radar last year, but this year they're really going to take that next step and, uh, and kind of jump onto the CUSA landscape, so to speak. Yeah, so I think there's a few of them. O'Hara is my, my pick for what I would say offensive for, for quarterback. I think the the work, I've talked to him as well multiple times, and the work he's been doing in this offseason so far, you know, it seems like this guy's always in the weight room or always in the film room, and this is, you know, we're just talking middle of February at this point or late February. So we're talking this guy has been in the weight room and been there since December, uh, since their season was over. So I like what he's going to bring to the table. And then I'll, I'll flip it to the defensive side and Keon White from ODU. You know, there was multiple times that he was in the backfield very, very quickly. Um, he just wasn't able to get pressure because there was a couple other guys on that ODU offense or defensive line that were back there before him. So I think White sort of in his full-time role uh, as the guy on that defensive line and then Meester occupying a couple guys in the middle, I think that this is this is prime for Keon White to take that next step. Just once again, now it's kind of transitioning as far as uh, just teams are concerned. Is there a Conference USA team that didn't make a bowl last year, but you know maybe the advanced stats say they were a little bit better than their record? I mean, I remember, for example, one of the things that you and I talked about prior to coming on this podcast is uh, you talked about Old Dominion in terms of their clean, uh, excuse me, clean pocket passer rate. And it was just one thing that I, that stood out to me, and I noticed because when you look at ODU, and it's been a struggle for them, obviously, the past few years under Bobby Wilder, but just this year in particular, I mean, the offense under Stone, Smart, and Messiah DeWeaver, you know, left a, a lot to be desired, and that's not any slight on them. But when Hayden Wolf came in, you know, it appeared at least the, the counting statistics looked better for ODU, and you pair that with the defense that reasonably, you know, relatively speaking, 
performed pretty well concerning the fact that they had to spend a lot of time on the field, and you and I kind of talked about that. But just I'll let you take it away. Is there a team that, you know, a team or two that didn't make a bowl, but that they, they're ready to make that next jump because, you know, they probably were better than their record may have stated? Yeah, I think that's – it's. I do think ODU will be a better team this year. I don't think that we can see a, that big of a jump uh, in terms of improvement from a win-loss record for them to get into a bowl game. I do think that they will increase, obviously. I think there's there's very room, very little room for them to go down anyways at this point. I, so I do think they'll, they'll, up, they'll go up. But um, I, have to, I have to stick with O'Hara and Asher. I think Middle Tennessee State is that team that likely was a little bit better than their record indicates last year. I mean, you could see it. They were much better in Conference USA play than they were out of conference as well. So I think that this is their prime to be that team that sort of, you know, puts up a lot of points. I think that that's what O'Hara can, can do for them if he stays healthy and stays, you know, as focused as I think he seems right now uh, when we hit August and September and then even into October. I think that that's when, you know, I think Middle Tennessee is, is ready for that team to take that next leap because, you know, the, the top teams losing their quarterbacks, it's not going to be easy. Um, and then losing a bunch of players across the board for a lot of teams. I think Charlotte is in for a rude awakening when you lose a bunch of your players there, too. So I think that, you know, the the East is kind of open uh, for Middle Tennessee to win some games. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that, and you talk about their schedule. I mean, you want to talk about a team that really for the past two years has taken on the challenge of playing a bunch of Power 5 teams. And last season, I know they took on Iowa, Duke, you know, Michigan. So they had tough sledding uh, to open the, the season. But it's, it's funny you mentioned Asher O'Hara. Um, I think Joe will remember this as well. We had their former beat writer from the DNJ uh, over there in Murfreesboro, Luis Torres, who was on with us. And it, he said, and, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of, I don't want to seem like I'm throwing him under the bus here because it's just, he only had Asher's only appearance at FIU uh, when Brent Stocksville got her in 2018 and then a little bit of spring practice to make this assessment. But the feeling coming out of Murfreesboro was that Asher would be the guy who maybe because he had some time in the system, would, you know, play out those first four games uh, against the P5 teams, and then maybe they'd go to the Juco kid and Randall Johnson. Obviously, that didn't happen. He took, you know, performed really well. Uh, but to just kind of pin it down to Middle Tennessee State and Asher O'Hara, the only game I had a chance to see of his live was up in Murfreesboro, kind of that weather debacle, that, you know, monsoon that uh, um, they played against FIU, and they blew FIU out of the water. But in the second half, Asher O'Hara only threw one pass because the weather was just that horrible. Um, the question for you is this. What do you think of him overall as as a passer? I mean, is this kind of what he is now, what you saw last year? Is that kind of it, what you, from what you've seen, what he is? Or do you think there's room for him for growth there? I mean, he's already proven himself as a dual threat. But I'm just wondering, you know, is there still room for, for growth for him as a passer? And obviously from Middle Tennessee, to Middle Tennessee State, take that next jump uh, on offense. Yeah, I mean, I think – I think we saw the jump happen for him as a rusher this past year, sort of solidifying himself as that. I think that's next year or this fall what happens is that if they are to make this turnaround and make, you know, a bowl game, win six games, win, I think they probably even win seven or eight um, this year, just on the onset, early onset look, I think he will have to develop, but I think he turned the corner uh, sort of nearing the end of the season. There were games I mean, he lit up the scoreboard there, the Rice game and then the, the West Kentucky game, too. I think they looked like a team that could win the majority of their Conference USA games come, you know, the back half of the schedule. Uh, I think he was completing passes at a high rate. And then, you know, we talk about it as well, clean pocket passer rating where, you know, ODU struggled. O'Hara turned that corner. He was very, very solid at the end of the season um, from a clean pocket. And I think that's where really where I look at it as, you know, if he continues that, he looked like this guy that sort of grasped it as he got on with the season and as the schedule sort of lightened up or injuries took toll against their opponents, you know, week 12 to 14 injuries are always going to be a huge part of everybody's uh, game plan. So 
if that's where we're at, if that's the, you know, you separate seasons by quarters or by halves or however you want to do it, that back half of the season for O'Hare really seemed like it started to click, started to grasp. But if, you know, this offseason stuff and uh, similar to how Thomas Oliver reached out to me, O'Hare has reached out to me to start talking, that, that kind of player that I really believe in. Uh, and then when the data backs it up and the analytics back it up, I, I can't not believe in it anymore. So I do think that this is sort of uh, prime for him to take that step because I, I think it's there. I think that that ability as a passer is there. So if you add that to to his already established pretty very awesome, uh, maybe even elite rushing ability, you know, you have a pretty awesome solid dual threat quarterback there. I'm going to apologize ahead of time. This is one a question that I, I did not prep with you, but I'm going to throw it at you just because you mentioned uh, Asher O'Hara, you mentioned Chris Reynolds, you mentioned Jamar Smith. Uh, a quarterback that, you know, I'm sure our listening audience, Joe, will pass for this as well, they'd be remiss if we did not mention him. Uh, they would be in our DMs if we don't. Southern Mrs. Jack Abraham. I just want to ask you just on a, on a broad scale level, what are your thoughts on him? I know personally – um, when you look at his 2018 numbers, obviously he had a very high completion rate, but you look at the yards per attempt, it could have been argued by some that he was somewhat of a, a dink and dunk type quarterback. You transition to last year, Buster Faulkner comes in as the offensive coordinator. They push the ball downfield a little bit more. He, he opens the season and really has great success, but kind of faltered down the stretch. He had a game, uh, I believe against uh, the last two games against FAU, and I cannot remember who the other opponent was. It might have been Western Kentucky, where I think he had one touchdown and, and four or five interceptions. Just what are your thoughts on Jack Abraham as a player? Yeah, sort of similar to O'Hara, but the opposite of the spectrum. He started the season off incredibly hot. I thought he was amazing to to start the season. And then he had, I think it was Louisiana Tech, he also had a multitude of interceptions. And then it was FAU that he had those four. I think that was one of the lower-graded games that I was able to be a part of watching from a quarterback standpoint. So I was not able to to keep him as high. I think I had him as high as 12th uh, on my quarterback rankings after week four. Um, or week six, whatever one it was, because he was, I mean, he had very, very good grades to start the season, and that was a pretty rough schedule to start off with, too. So I, I, I like him. I think he did struggle. There was a, there was some down-for-down down accuracy struggles, I think, for him, as he did start to push the ball a little bit more downfield. Um, and then, you know, I don't, it's a, it's a hard read. He's got good grades, but there's just some boneheaded mistakes and boneheaded plays. Um, I think that if he gets a little bit better of a supporting cast, he can put up even bigger numbers than he did this past season, because he had a pretty high drop rate and going back to my adjusted completion percentage that I talked about earlier, he actually leads all returning conference USA quarterbacks in adjusted completion percentage. So he's, he's got the ability to, to be an accurate guy. He just needs a little bit of help. I think on the outside as well. All right. Last two, and we'll get you out of here. I'll start with this one. And you kind of touched on it with Charlotte of the teams that made a bowl. Who do you believe could experience a drop off in wins? I know you did, like I said, you touched on Charlotte with the players after a place and left tackle Cameron Clark, obviously Benny LeMay and Alex Highsmith. Uh, you know, FIU is kind of a pick as well because they have to replace a lot of seniors. Who do you believe could be experience a drop off in wins? I, you know, as, as much as a believer as I am in the, in the Bulldogs and Coach Holtz, I think that Louisiana Tech is primed for uh, definitely not double digits. I don't, I think they're, they're going to struggle to get to a bowl game. I think, you know, just the difference that you saw in Smith versus Allen at quarterback. And I don't know what their situation is a quarterback, but it's not Smith. And at that point, you know, I, I really do believe that that's going to be a big drop off when you go, come from a 10 and three team with one of the more dynamic quarterbacks of the past three years at this level, you know, you're losing him. It's, it's very hard to replace. And it's, it's you know, not only from a, personnel standpoint from a personal standpoint as well when you're in that locker room with a guy who is the clear leader of your team as well um, there's that un, unpalpable undefinable quality that that type of player has and so unless they have something like that step up I think Louisiana Tech's in for probably a rude awakening this year and the last one for you as joke and vouch we love to ask food questions on this podcast because whether it's a 
in my travels covering Conference USA or just Joe's travels around the nation, we're always trying to find a decent bite to eat. Um, let me start with this, Cam. Are you originally from Central Florida? I am. So Lake Brantley proud, born in Daytona, but raised all my life in Longwood. Yeah, that's a, that's very much an inside Central Florida thing. I I uh, think I was going home for Thanksgiving and uh and Cam commented on one of those posts and uh, uh but okay so originally from Central Florida but you now reside in Ohio correct? Correct. All right. If I'm in Ohio and I know we don't have any Conference USA teams there, but um you know obviously you've heard of whether it's been you know Cincinnati and you know kind of like the skyline chili or what, whatever it may be. If I'm in the area and obviously Joe can relate to this as well, having gone to uh to Bowling Green, I'm sure he spent a little bit of time up there in that area. Uh, what is it, if I'm in the Buckeye State, what is a meal that I have to have? All right. So it's interesting that you say this and you mentioned the, the, the one place that it's famous for. Uh, I'm going to pull my grandfather's joke out of my hat here. I went to Skyline twice and they were both the same time, my first and my last. So I, I highly recommend avoiding Skyline like it's the plague. Don't go. Don't bother. Don't even waste your time. Um, if you are in Cincinnati, there are a few. You got to go um, to Jack Ruby's. It's the steakhouse. It's the famous one downtown. Um, they do a mean steak. They have a Collinsworth, actually. It's named after Chris Collinsworth. And so that's the, that's the recommendation. My wife, my daughter, my wife, and I are actually moving back to Columbus in a month um, because of the food scene. Every brewery either has a food truck or an amazing sort of gastro pub feel that puts together high-quality five-star food, in my opinion. So we're moving back to Columbus for friends and family and whatnot, but secretly for the beer and for the food. So if you're in Ohio and you can make it to Columbus, hit any one of the local breweries in Columbus. Love it. Love it. I absolutely will try to make a trip. Especially if I'm in there in Columbus, uh, I have to cover Ohio State game with that effect. Uh, I'm always down for anywhere I can find a good beer. It's definitely appreciated. But, uh, but Cam, definitely look forward to having you as part of the team. Thank you for, for coming on. I'm going to talk to Joe to uh, close this one up. But definitely looking forward to your advanced analytics. You know, like I said, I followed you from afar, so I'm glad to have you as part of the team. Uh, Joe, yeah, my pleasure, man. Up. Thanks Thanks for having me on as well, guys. And I'm uh, beyond excited to, to be on team here as well. Yeah, of course. And uh, for anybody who wants to uh, follow Cam for his uh, insight into the college football world or make a burner account and uh, tell him what you really think of his uh, sacrilegious skyline take there, uh, he is <laughs> at C-A-M-M-E-L-L-O-R on the Twitter machine. Uh, do go check out his work. Very, uh, very well researched and very insightful insightful stuff there uh thank you all so much for listening to another episode of the, the uh conference usa underdog podcast uh now we're going to come back uh as often as we can over the course of the off season with more episodes in this vein before we start previewing the season itself um and then with that we'll say uh happy football watching if you haven't already subscribe to the show on apple podcast check us out on spotify as well and uh, if you want to follow eric and myself on twitter we are at j-o-e-h-i-o underscore and and Eric C. Henry underscore, respectively. And then, of course, at Underdog Dynasty for more G5 football content every single day. Uh, see you later, guys. If I know I, uh, if I didn't say it already, happy football watching. Happy football watching.